Father, we just humbly bow before your awesome presence, and we pray this morning for your help and for the ministry of the Holy Ghost. And we pray, Lord, as we even as heard, read, and word this morning, you are the ministry of this sanctuary. You're the minister of this sanctuary. And Lord, we pray that you would minister by the Holy Spirit into our hearts this morning. That you would take the preeminence in all things. That you would give help, Lord, to preach your word, to give his ears to hear, hearts that are open. And Lord, we pray that you would undertake and that you would glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word this morning. Isaiah had a wonderful revelation in Isaiah chapter 6. If you turn over into the Old Testament this morning, Isaiah chapter 6, we see here that Isaiah had a revelation he's seen by faith, uh, and we've seen the pre-incarnate. That just simply means before Christ came into the world in flesh. In the year that the king uh, Uzziah died, he said, I also saw the Lord. And what was he? He was high, and he was lifted up, and his train filled the temple. This is 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He's seen the Lord and he's seen the pre-incarnate Jesus before Jesus became flesh. He's seen him high, and he's seen him lifted up, and his train, it filled the temple. His post-incarnate revelation was received by Paul. If you turn right away over into the New Testament again, in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, in Philippians chapter 2 and uh, verse 9, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, if you just turn over there this morning, we read there that Christ then, now as we have just followed there in uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, he received them out of his sight. Uh, if you're there, if you're all there, Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Somebody want to read it for me this morning, Philippians 2 and 9. Victoria. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He's highly exalted. The pre-incarnate. He's seen him high and lifted up. The post-incarnate, that's after he ascended to heaven, there in verse 9, when he was received out of their sight. Paul writes and says these words, that he is highly exalted. This is the same Jesus, right the whole way through. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the great eternal one. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, he said in Revelation, I'm alive forevermore. And he is highly exalted 
upon this throne this morning. We see the Lord Jesus, and I want to take some time this morning. The Lord has uh, just given me help this morning in the in the Word. I just got a bit lost this morning, but I know I was found in it, but I, I got a bit lost in the Word, and I felt I was swimming in the waters. Literally, I felt I was swimming this morning. I said, Nick, you're going to have to go because he was bringing some things to me, and I had to Cut it all down or else I'd be preaching here until 12 o'clock tonight. So I've split it up. Don't worry. Don't panic. We'd have had about 15 pages. But the Lord's give great help. And I just believe the Lord wants to He reveal it certainly to me. And I hope that God gives help to reveal it to you this morning. We see the Lord Jesus. And I want to just pull back into the wonderful earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. When he was here on the earth in a body, just like yours and just like mine, he was given a body. And this wonderful earthly ministry of Christ was a glorious one. And it finished in that body with the conquering of sin and death and grave and the devil. That's how he finished his earthly ministry in the body that he was given. And we know it began. It was a wonderful beginning. There's never been a ministry like this ministry. Never been a ministry. You know, I know a lot of people have ministries today, they call it after their own name. We're not really interested in any of that. We're only interested in one ministry, and that's the ministry of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3, if you just follow it through, I know you'd be familiar with this, but we're going to look at the heavenly ministry this morning of Christ. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, we know Christ was born of a virgin. He lived that life. We hear very little of his boyhood. But as a man at the age of around 30, we know that the ministry, the earthly ministry of Christ in a body, just like yours and mine, he was about to begin a ministry that was absolutely awesome. It was powerful. It was was so rich. It was so wonderful. It was so so mighty in, in all the acts that he'd done. In Luke 3 and verse 21, at the beginning, we see John the Baptist is baptizing people in the water. Now, just I want to mention on the way through in that, we're having a baptism, God willing, in September. Some have indicated the, the desire to go through the waters of baptism. If you're not baptized in water, it's a commandment of the Lord. And I believe it's important this morning that you pray about it and you come and see us afterwards. But thank God there's those that want to go through the waters. It's a wonderful thing. And here in this baptism, Luke 3 and 21, says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now we know as he was led of the Spirit of God, just for time's sake, into the wilderness, and there he was tempted. Luke chapter 4, if you turn just in that verse first, it says, And Jesus being full, the Holy Ghost has come upon him. And it says in Luke 4 and 1, And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For forty days he was tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And after the temptation in Christ in the wilderness, in verse 14 of the same chapter, just follow it through with me, it tells us there when he defeated the devil uh, by the power of his word, three times he was tempted. He was led of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus in a body just like yours and mine, but this is fully God in a man. 
And here we see Luke 4 and uh, verse 18, or verse 14, he says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Now we're about to witness the beginning of the ministry of Christ on the earth in a body. And just follow this through. Luke 4, verse 18. We're very familiar with these words. Let's not become too familiar with them. Luke 4 and 18. The Lord then comes to the synagogue and he is given the book and he opens from Isaiah and reads from the book Isaiah, Luke 4, 18. And he says these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, that's Jesus, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20 says, And he closed the book and he gave it to the minister and he sat down. And the eyes of all them were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And this is now the beginning of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost. He tells us what he will be engaged in, what he'll be doing. He says, I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm going to heal the broken in heart. I'm going to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. I'll set at liberty them that are bruised and I'll preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to keep that thought because we'll come back to this next week. This is the gospel. Do you know there's only one gospel? There's only one gospel. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. And there's only one church. And thank God there's only one gospel. There's one gospel. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for three years... We read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four Gospels, the synoptics as they're known as, we read the life of Christ on the earth, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Ghost. He ministered the Gospel to that world all around him, in villages, in mountaintops, in valleys, across seas. We know that everywhere he went, he brought the good news of the gospel of this kingdom, his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2, John the Baptist is now finds himself in prison and he's inquiring, hearing of this great work of the Lord Jesus Christ that's taken place. John the Baptist, the baptizer, then wants to inquire, are you the Christ? Is this what we have been waiting for? If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11 verse 2, When John heard, Matthew 11, verse 2, turn over to it, let's just follow this through this morning. Matthew 11, verse 2. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, the gospel that he preached, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? 
Is there another one coming? Is there another gospel? Are you the Christ that we have been waiting on? Is this what we have been longing for? Is this what our fathers have taught us? Is this what the prophets have penned and written and longed for? And he answered, verse 4, and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye both do hear and ye see. Here's the gospel. I want you to hear it this morning. The blind, they receive their sight. The lame, what happens to the lame? They walk. The lepers, they're cleansed. And the deaf, you'll not need to shout. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. I want to repeat that if you don't mind this morning. In case we become too familiar. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf and the dead are, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. This is the gospel, the gospel that means good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the kingdom. There's only one kingdom, his kingdom, and it's an everlasting kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the same Jesus. We spoke and sang this morning of an unchangeable God. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he's the same forevermore. It's the same Jesus this morning that we're preaching. It's the same gospel that we should preach and believe and expect to see. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ died on the cross... His ministry did not die with him. When Christ died on the cross, despite what many people believe, many churches might even preach and teach, despite what many people think, when Jesus died on the cross, his ministry did not die with him. The way many live today and the way many in the church conduct themselves They've been deceived by the tradition of men that the power of God died when Jesus died. If that was the case, then Jesus would still be in the tomb. The Pharisees were fearful when Jesus died and they buried him. They were fearful. In Matthew chapter 27, they came to Pilate. They said to Pilate, Pilate, We're concerned about this man, Jesus. They'd got their way as far as they're concerned. Jesus had been crucified. He died on the cross. They were happy. The religious were happy. They loved death. Religious people loved death. They loved that pharisaical death. They loved the sitting death. They they wallow in death. And when Jesus died, they came to, to Pilate and said, Sir, now we remember Matthew 27, 63, that the deceiver said, they called Jesus a deceiver. This is what they said. This is what the religious said. The deceiver said, while he was yet alive, this is what he said. This is what the deceiver said. After three days, I will rise again. So Lord, our pilot, would you help us? What we want to do is we want to get the biggest rock we can find. 
and we want to roll it right over this tomb, and we want to make sure it's well sealed and shut in, and we're going to put a couple of soldiers, one on either side of it, and we're going to make sure that nobody steals that body in case they try to make up some rumor that he's alive. We'll make sure he's dead and he's not coming out. Well, if you turn into Matthew chapter 28, and you open that first verse, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, Matthew 28 verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And verse 2 says these words, And friends, this morning, if this doesn't get us off our seats, I don't know what will, but it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. This is the deceiver, as the Pharisees said. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Glory to God. He's alive. He's risen from the grave and he's alive forevermore. Friends, this morning, is he alive in our hearts? Matthew 28, verse 6, as they looked and they were concerned, the angel said, he's not here, for he is risen. He's no deceiver, friends, what he said he was going to do. Praise the Lord, he's done it this morning. He's alive. And he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ was raised again on the third day. And friends, this morning, it's the good news of the gospel. He's alive forevermore. He's risen from the grave. An earthly ministry that ended with the death of Christ on the cross. And the third day he rose triumphant. And glory be to God. He ascended into glory. And they beheld him and they watched him as he went. In his death and resurrection. We see that Christ ascended. The ascension of Christ is critical to the Christian faith. Not only did he die. Not only was he buried. But according to the scripture we know that he was raised again on the third day. And friends, he ascended up into glory. And one day he's coming. And it's a glorious day. And that day surely is upon us. Now let me ask you this morning, what of his heavenly ministry? Many would believe that the earthly ministry of Christ has ceased. We'll come to that next week. But as Christ ascended into glory, there is a wonderful heavenly ministry that Jesus is currently engaged in. The heavenly ministry of Christ as he arose and ascended in the glory on the basis of his own blood, that's the blood of an everlasting covenant, Christ ascended and entered into glory for you and for me. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, follow this this morning if you would, I want to go through the heavenly ministry. And if I could encourage you this morning, because it's easy for us to look at the despair, the discouragement, the depression, and the death that's all around us. But friends, I believe for those that look for him, he's going to appear a second time. What we need to do is we need to get our eyes just lifted up this morning and know of this heavenly ministry by faith. It's not my ministry. It's not what I'm doing. It's not all the praying that I'm doing. It's not all the reading that I'm doing. It's not all the good works that I'm doing. We want to look at the ministry of Jesus this morning. This is something different that lifts us out of a different from the realm that we're in of the natural, but into the realm of the heavenly because we're seated with him in heavenly places. 
So in Hebrews 1 and 1, it says, God, who in sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past, according to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. That's Jesus. That's how he speaks to us. Whom he is appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. He made it all. His name's Jesus this morning. Thank God all these cults, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, and all the Muslims and all their ideas. This is Jesus who made the worlds. And he speaks by his Son, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins what did he do friend he sat down i want you to see it this morning this is where i've been swimming i want you to see it before he began his earthly ministry in luke chapter 4 we read it this morning and verse 18 when he preached that great message from isaiah that the spirit of the lord is upon me remember can we go back to it Just in case we forget it, just go back to it this morning. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 1 if you can. And if you know it, just follow it with me. Hebrews 4, verse 18. Remember what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Would you read it with me? Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them which are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it to the minister. And what did he do? He sat down. Before he began his earthly ministry, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ, he sat down. When he was about to begin his heavenly ministry, when he purged our sins, what did he do? He sat down. Know what that is? Before he ever began, he's already finished. You see, what I've committed to him against that day, I'm going to tell you, friends, he's going to bring me through and he's going to bring you through. When he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Before he ever began the work, friends, let me tell you what he's done. He sat down this morning. It's a finished work and there's victory for us. He sat down in glory. He sat down in glory. In Hebrews chapter 1, read it again. That you're getting it this morning. God, who in sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, read it with me. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, he's seated this morning at the beginning of both ministries, the earthly and the heavenly. We see the Lord and he's highly exalted. And friends, he's seated. That means he's triumphed, he's victorious, and he's over all things. In that heavenly ministry, as he's seated this morning, do you know he's not in the grave? He's not in the tomb. 
And he's not hanging on any cross, friends. No matter how many graven images they make of him hanging on the cross, I want to tell you, he's not on the cross this morning. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. But what's he doing? What's he doing? Now, I want you to get your eyes on yourself. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to you too. Now, get your eyes off it all. Here is what he's doing. If you're writing this down, you can take these notes. Number one, Jesus Christ is the mediator. And that's very important. In that old covenant, there was a mediator. Who was the mediator of the old covenant? Moses. He's the mediator of an old covenant. But we are in a new covenant. Praise the Lord. We're not coming to the mountain where the wee boundary, anyone steps over the line. Friends, that's serious. He's a holy God. We need a mediator. We've got one this morning. His name's Jesus. A mediator is a go-between. Someone's gone between me and the holiness and the wrath of God. His name is Jesus. It's not Muhammad. It's not Mary. It's not Hare Krishna. Not any of these people. His name is Jesus. And in that mediation role, he's not only a mediator, but he's a reconciler. We're reconciled. So, 2 Corinthians and verse 5 and verse 8, or chapter 5, verse 18, says these words, And all things, now he's a mediator, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. You are reconciled this morning to God by Jesus Christ. And not only are we reconciled to him as he has mediated on our behalf, but he has given unto us then what? The ministry of reconciliation. Wow. Doesn't the church in Ulster need the ministry of reconciliation? Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us. Somehow help us. Help us, Lord. He's given us the ministry. Think about it. We have, because we're reconciled, he's given to every believer in this room the ministry of reconciliation. Do you use it? But I'm right and they're wrong. Do we use this ministry, this most precious ministry that he's given? I have many ministries. But here's one that I know that he's given us. And everyone in this room, if you're saved, he's given you this ministry. I don't know what my ministry is. I'm about to tell you. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. Now, do you operate in that ministry of reconciliation? Well, I'm not really called to that. (laughs) Wow. Have you got the ministry of reconciliation? It's powerful, isn't it? Now, all this happens. I'll move on because I've gone quiet. I've lost you all. All this happens on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, verse 12. If you just follow these scriptures. Hebrews 13 and 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered without the gate, that he might sanctify us, sanctify the people with his own blood, he would suffer without the gate. That's Calvary. Hebrews, right the whole way through it, and we've looked at it before. 
speaks of something that's better. It's better than the old. He tells us it's a better covenant. It's better promises. It's a better hope. And he's got better things for us. Who's the us? That's us. That's you and me this morning. So it's all on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now Hebrews 9 and verse 24 tells us exactly the ministry of Christ in this place of mediation. Hebrews 9 verse 24. For Christ, if you read it with me this morning, for Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Who for? For us. So this morning in his heavenly ministry, think about it, friend. I've come in discouraged. I've come in down. I'm going through difficult times. I have a lot of failures. I don't know where to turn. There's a man in the glory called Jesus who's appeared in heaven for you. Isn't that awesome? And he's there mediating on your behalf. See if there's no mediator in heaven for us this morning. We're in trouble. I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. Now here he is as mediator, number one. Number two, he's there in his priestly office. This is so important. In the old, as a shadow of that which was to come, the high priest would enter into the tabernacle on the behalf of the people, but he would never do it without blood. Never without blood. In Hebrews chapter 8, would you turn to it this morning? Hebrews chapter 8 says these words, verse 1, and then we're going to go back to Hebrews 4. But it says these words, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. It was read this morning. A minister. Who's the minister of the sanctuary? Jesus. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched. But this is not of man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on the earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Now before the tabernacle in the old, and we've looked at it before, Moses received the revelation of the tabernacle that he would build on the earth in the Old Testament. He received that revelation from the tabernacle that was in the heaven. So it was a shadow, and then it was a type of that which would be in the fullness of it. And verse 6 says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much more also is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Let me ask you this morning, are you standing on the promises of Christ my King? These promises are better promises. And it's all on the basis of this heavenly ministry. Hebrews 4 and verse 14, what's this priestly office? Look at Christ this morning as he's engaged in his heavenly ministry. For you and for me, remember he's there for us. Hebrews 4, 14, would you read it with me? 3 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest 
that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of hell. Isn't that awesome? Here's the heavenly ministry in his priestly office. You come to him boldly by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's willing to pour out grace and help in your time of need. He knows all about our troubles. He knows all about our struggles. But thank God this morning, praises Jesus. He's still our refuge. And so he ministers as the minister of the sanctuary. What does that mean? He's going to minister into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's you and I this morning. The grace that's needed to bring us through every trial and every trouble. He'll heal our bodies. He'll deliver us from our sickness. From the oppressor. From the devil. From the enemy. From the tormentor. When we come boldly on the basis of the blood. I'll give you help when you need it. Friends, how often do we come? A path that's been made. A way that's been opened. And friends, it seems to be the last place we go is the throne of grace. The ministry in his priestly office. Not only is he the mediator and is he the priestly, is he the high priest, the great high priest. Then number three, he is the intercessor. That means to entreat on the behalf of another. This is awesome this morning. Hebrews chapter 7 Verse 24, if you turn over, it says, But this man, carrying on in that priestly office, this is particular things that he's engaged in. But this man, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Let me tell you, friends, see, tomorrow morning, it doesn't matter what's happening in this world, what Trump's doing, what's Putin doing. It doesn't matter what O'Neill's doing. It doesn't matter what Foster's doing. It doesn't matter who's got their hand in the till. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter their holidays. It doesn't matter they're stroking the people. It doesn't matter wickedness. It doesn't matter, friends, this morning. Jesus is the same. What we'll know in the morning is we've got a great high priest on the throne of grace. And he's going to minister to us out of his grace and out of his mercy and he doesn't change. We change, don't we? It depends on what that is. It depends on the clouds. It depends on what's in the bank. It depends on, don't we change? It depends. Yesterday we felt great. Oh, this is wonderful. Tomorrow, my goodness, it's the end of the world. I tell you, he never changes. Never changes. He's always the same. One day we're up, one day we're down. One week we're going to do everything for Jesus. The next week we've wrapped it all in the towels in the middle of the floor. But he never changes. He never changes, friends. It says here that we have an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, wherefore, he is able. He is able. Would you say he's able? He is able also to save them to the uttermost, from the guttermost to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for who? For them. No, friends, I may not pray for you every morning, but Jesus does. And you may not pray for me every morning, but Jesus does. Not just every morning, but see every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. 
Jesus personally and individually prays for you. He's interceding for you. How can he know all of us? He knows how many grains of sand are in the sea. He knows how many stars are in the galaxies. And there's billions upon billions upon billions upon billions. And you know what? He's a name for every one of them. And friends, he knows if the sparrow on that little branch falls to the ground, I'm going to tell you something, he knows everything about you. He never changes. And he's interceding for them. Verse 26, For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Friends, this morning, think about it. And he's made, he's made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the peoples. For this he did, how many times? When he offered up himself. It's awesome. So he's interceding for you. You need to know this this morning. Jesus is praying for you. People might say I'm praying for you and times with the sincerity and the best intention, they do pray for you for a time. Let me tell you something. His prayers never weird, never fade, and never stop. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying, oh Peter, how the devil wants you. He's going to buffet you. He's going to come against you. He's going to sift you like wheat. You're going to go through trials. But I'm praying for you, Peter. Your faith's not going to fail. You're in the depths of despair. You don't know where to turn or who to turn to. Don't you worry. Jesus is praying for you. I don't know where to turn. I don't know who to turn to. Turn to the throne of grace. There's somebody praying for you. His name's Jesus. Does he ever get tired? He never slumbers or sleep. He that keepeth Israel, he neither slumbers nor does he sleep. Does he ever get tired or weary? No, but the young people do. And old people too. But they that wait upon the Lord, they're going to renew their strength and they're going to mount up with wings as eagles. We're going to fly. But I'm so far down at the minute, I don't know where I can come back. I want to tell you there's a hand that's not too short, an arm that's not too short that can reach straight down into where you are and lift you up this morning and put your feet on higher ground. What an awesome priesthood. The great high priest making intercession. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says these words, Romans 8 34. Here's the question maybe for someone who's sitting among us this morning and accused of the enemy, someone who's down, someone who feels they've let the Lord down, someone who feels or have failed in some way or another, and they feel in the depths of their heart, maybe not on the outward expression, but in the depths of your heart. And Paul asked this question, Romans 8, Who is he that condemneth? Think about it. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even, where is he? At the right hand of God. And what's he doing? Who also maketh intercession for us. Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that condemneth? But I've failed. I tell you, friends, we all fail. I don't think I make it or meet the standard. I'm going to tell you something. None of us do. I'll let you into a secret. None of us make the standard. I want to tell you something, friends. But there's one who has. 
And by his blood this morning, he appears in heaven for you. And as he makes intercession, we're going to move on to a very important one next. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He hasn't cast you away. He hasn't thrown you out. You know, people will do that. Even people in church will do that. He's finished. That's it. That's the end of it. Blew it. Marked his card. I remember when someone said, once you get marked in the church, you never get unmarked. Thank God this morning. See the blood? Thank God this morning for the blood. It's awesome this morning. We'll never forget. Thank God he forgets. But he makes intercession for us. And this next one I love. He's not only this morning sitting in glory, mediating on our behalf in his priestly office with his own blood and interceding on our behalf, but he's our advocate. And I love this one. I love them all, but this one I love. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, 1 John chapter 2, and verse 1. It says, My little children, I love John because the epistles of John 1, 2, and 3, we know John was the uh, oldest of the disciples, the apostles. We reckon somewhere up in his 90s that he lived to. Remember, he was in exile. And uh, he very much speaks as a father to a flock. That's why he says, little children. He had the right to do that. He had lived a long life. He had seen it all. I think it's the legend that says that they tried to kill him by throwing him into a pot of boiling oil. The Lord wonderfully delivered him. That's what legend says. But here he is in the last of his days, and he's writing these letters to the flock. He said, my little children, these things I write unto you, that you do not sin. And if any man does sin, you see, we don't believe in sinless perfection. There's only one perfect His name is Jesus, but we're being perfected. Do you understand? So don't fall into that, that we never sin. If any man does sin, what he's saying is, you will feel. Anyone ever feels since you've been saved? If you didn't put your hand up and you're saved, you've just sinned because you told a lie. Not true? Okay, let's do it again. Anyone sin since they get saved? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let's be honest. (laughs) I'm going to put two hands up. You know, some people wouldn't put their hand up. I'm telling you, folks. Boys are there. We'll go on. 1 John 2 and 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the... These are just awesome... Words, he is the propitiation. That means he's the atoning sacrifice. If you sin, you have an advocate, and he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not for ours only. It's not just my sin, but for the sins of the whole world. He is the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. I have an advocate before the throne of God. What does that mean? Do you know what's a legal term? It's wonderful. It's a great legal term. If you've ever, if you've ever 
done something you shouldn't have done. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. If you've ever committed a crime and you're summonsed, they'll put the case together. I'll use me, Mr. McElroy, done such and such and this, such, blah, blah, blah. We're not going into what it was. And they put the, the police then will put together a case. They'll interview you. Can we get a statement from you? Blah, blah, blah. It is accused you were there. You were All the rest of it. Then they put the case together and they put it into the PPS, the Public Prosecution Service, and they'll say, boy, he's a bad and we'll get him. Get him to court. We're going to do him. He was guilty. Guilty as charged. So you're summoned to court. You go to the court. You have to get someone to take your case on. You gotta get someone to take your case. Now, solicitors are a dime a dozen, but it's hard to get a good one, isn't it? They're all in, I believe they're all in it together, but that could be wrong. <laughs> but it sounds that way. But you gotta get a good representative in the court, don't you? I tell you something, friends, we have a charge sheet, and I don't know what yours is like. Mine's a big one. The charges against me, not looking good. But I'm going to tell you something. I've got the greatest advocate in this galaxy. And his name's Jesus. And he said, know what he said? I'll take your case. But I'll not only take your case, I'll pay your penalty because you're guilty. And I'll pay your penalty with my own blood. And know what I'll do? I'll go into the court and I'll represent you. And I'll pay your price. I know what's going to happen here. Even though you're guilty as charged, you're going to walk free. Because the Bible says, he whom the Son sets free, what is he? He's free! He has taken your case. He has taken your charge. But he has also paid your penalty. And he's the advocate in the throne room of God this morning. And friends, I can tell you, we're free. If that doesn't encourage us to praise him, when he says... When he says, come on over, and we'll look at it later, when he's coming over, that Mount of Olives riding on that donkey, and all the Pharisees saying, oh, whatever you do, Lord, do you hear what they're saying? They're, they're getting too excited about praising you. And the Lord said, see if they don't praise me, the very stones are going to praise me. Because he's taken my case, he's paid my price, and friends, I'm a free man this morning. And you're a free woman this morning. And you're a free man this morning. Why? Because we have an advocate up in heaven. And his name is Jesus. And if you sin, we have an advocate still with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. You know in that song, it's an amazing song. The words of that song, Before the Throne of God. It is an amazing song. Amazing words. Amazing truth. But it says, if I can remember one of the verses, it says, to look on him and pardon me. That is an awesome thought. You see, when he looks, he doesn't look at us for what we are. He looks at him, Jesus, and says, I'll pardon him. I'll pardon her. I'll pardon him. I'll pardon them. Why? Because of his son standing in glory with the blood of an everlasting covenant. And Jesus saying, I know Johnny Nixon, he's mine. I know Gillian Sloss, I'm representing her. She's free, I've paid her price. I know Carson Tate this morning, I've paid the price for him. Everything he's done is true, but thanks be to God this morning. He gives us the victory. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He's a free man, let him go. I paid the price for Carson.
He's paid the price for you. He's an advocate. It's a legal term. And this morning, friends, we haven't finished, sorry. Before the throne, I have a strong and a perfect plea. His name's Jesus. He's not only our advocate, he's not only our intercessor, and operating in his great high priestly role and the mediator of a new covenant, but this is important. He's there as the head of the church. He's the head, the head of the church. It's not El Papa. It's not Francis or anyone else that they raise the smoke to and get in the place. No matter what the evangelical church is being swayed with all that, that deception that the Roman Catholic Church is part of us. I'm going to tell you, friends, this morning, it's the heart of church. I know I'm not popular. I know people don't like it. I'm going to tell you, it is the heart of church. It is not the church of Jesus Christ, and the Pope is not our head. You can call him the Holy Father if you want. I'll call no man father. I've got one father, and it's God Almighty. The head of the church, he sits in his priestly role, but also as the head of the church of Jesus Christ, right across this world. Colossians 2 and verse 19 says, And not holding the head from which, from this head now, from which the whole body, think about it, holding the head from which the whole body, by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, it increases with the increase of God. How many people want to increase in God? That's a good thing to say, yes, by the way. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you're filled with pride. You want to grow in Christ. That's a good thing. How does that increase happen? How does the church grow? I know people, you know, just so that you know, if you ever meet sort of a group of pastors, the first thing they'll often say to you is, I'm not really interested in all of that, but the first thing it says, well, how many have you got going? That's the first thing they're going to, how many goes to yours? What do you get out on a Sunday night? I couldn't care less. I mean, I care that people get saved. I care that the people of God who say, I belong to Balanchine New Testament Church, come to church and we're part of a body. I do care about that. But I'm not interested, friends. Not interested in who's got what. What I know is, are we increasing? Are we increasing? That doesn't mean numbers. He allowed to the church such as should be saved. And we're believing for a great increase in that way. But what's important? Are we increasing in God? This is really important. Do you want to grow? Do you want to become fruitful? This is really what God measures. In the end, it's not going to be all our great acts. It's going to be how much of Christ was seen in us. How much of Jesus is really evident in our lives? How much of his character and his person, the fruit whereby the Father is glorified, John 15 and 8. This is what it's all about. Are we increasing in God? Friends, I do believe we are, but we need so much more. We want to grow. We want to be more like him. Anybody want to be like Jesus? I just want to be like, this is the end. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens from the head. He's the head of the body. And so then, 
He's going to nourish the body by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And all the joints then, as they function, they're going to begin to grow, produce fruit. There's one head, and that head is Jesus Christ. There's not two heads. Anything with two heads, what is it? It's a monster. There's one head, and that head's Jesus. His desire is the head of the church. You know, you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Remember that story? She needed to touch the hem of his garment. She needed to touch Jesus. This is a type of the church. She says, if I could but touch him, what would happen? I'd be made whole. Now, as he's going along and all the crowds around him, she presses through the crowd. She says, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I know. She touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? Who touched me? The disciples say, well, we'd have said, Jesus, there's crowds around you. How? What do you, I mean, everyone's pushing you. Everyone wants, I mean, you think of that earthly ministry. They, they thronged him. He went into the house. He couldn't get out of the house again because there were so many multitudes at the door. Everywhere he went, he went up mountains. They turned around. There was 5,000 wanting fed. Everywhere, they thronged him. He says, who touched me? Someone touched me because he said, what happened? I perceived something went out of me. Virtue. The supernatural power of God. I believe this is what we need to pray for the church to be again. If it's Friends, if it's going to be anything, it needs to be this. It needs to be the body that he's purposed it to be. That the head and the life and the flow and the power of the Holy Ghost flows out of it. That when people come into contact with us, the virtue of Jesus comes. The power of... So when someone comes through that door tonight, suicidal, broken, not knowing where to turn, but this is the body of Christ. The same virtue that touched the woman with the issue of blood. There's going to be a lot of people with issues coming through. What's the answer? That the head and the power and the virtue of Jesus flows. And friends, even before there's an appeal while they're sitting on their seat, the power of God heals them. That's what we need to come to. We'll come more to this next week, but that's what we need. He's the head of the church. Number six, he's the healer. I'm definitely going to be finished in a few minutes, but he is the healer. He sits in heaven as a healer. He is the healer. In James 5 and 14 There's only one healer, by the way, and that's Jesus. See, anyone that says, I'm a healer, I'm this, I want to tell you, friends, there's only one healer, and his name's Jesus Christ. In James 5 and 14, it says, As any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, so the elders will do what they're called to do in obedience to the Lord. You have a responsibility if you're sick. What does it say? Call for, you call, the onus is on you. You call for the elders of the church. What happens then? So the elders of the church, according to God's word, this is what they'll do. They'll pray over him. They'll anoint him in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And then it says these words, and the Lord, the Lord, the Lord shall raise him up. I'm going to tell you, friends, without the Lord, We can do absolutely nothing. He's the healer. Not only is the healer, I'm coming to a close. Two seconds. I want to tell you what he is too in heaven. And please don't shut off at this point. This is important. He 
is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. Jesus is. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. I want to say it again. I, I fear that we become familiar with the theology of something and not have the reality of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is the baptizer. He is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. In Luke 3 and 16, John said, I indeed baptize you with water, but there's one mightier than I coming, whose latchet of shoes I am not even worthy to unloose. Now this is what he'll do. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Who's he talking about? Who would he mention? He says, his latchet of shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. Who's he referring to? He's referring to Jesus. The baptism in the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 19, verse 1. This is some 25 years after Pentecost. Paul <clears throat> says it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, and friends, you might think, well, this only happens in Acts 19, 2,000 years ago. This happens all over the church today. We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Ghost. You might think it's a strange thing reading that in a Pentecostal church. I want to tell you, probably most across this nation, you could say it's an Acts 19 type church. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Ghost, but we're saved. We didn't even know that there was a baptism in the Holy Ghost. Actually, we have been taught. Listen, just like the Pharisees, we'll get a stone, we'll put it over the tomb, we'll keep this hidden. We don't want them to know anything about it. The deceivers say that there's a baptism in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you something. It's not the deceiver. The deceiver wants to deceive you, not getting the Holy Ghost. But there's a baptism in the Holy Ghost. He sits on the throne. He's accomplished everything. He's finished the work. He sat down. Everything of what I've talked about this morning, including the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the healing, the head, the advocate, the intercessor, the mediator, and that great high priest is all because of Calvary. It's the center of everything. It's the full gospel of Jesus Christ. None of these things are possible if it wasn't for the fact that he's the Lamb of God that died on that cross. And because he did die and rose again, Everything of what I've said this morning is available because he did it all for us. Is available to everyone in this room. Not just that he is, oh, we're getting excited that he's representing me there. We're getting excited that he's taking my sins away. We're getting excited that he's interceding for me. We're getting excited that we have this ministry of reconciliation, that he advocate for us, 
that he's the head of the church, and then thank God he's the healer, and then suddenly we come to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and we're not sure. I'm going to tell you, I'm sure. Because the Word of God teaches us clearly that there is a baptism in the Holy Ghost separate from salvation, and that baptism, friends, is for witness. And this church is being stirred for witness. And I tell you, friend, the one thing we need is the baptism in the Holy Ghost. The baptism in the Holy Ghost. Where is he this morning? Friends, we don't have to roll around in the dirt to try and get something from Jesus this morning because a way has been made right to the throne of grace. And he sat down. And all he asks is, is to come. And they ask and to believe, and he'll administer the promise of the Father to anyone who believes and comes in faith asking. How simple is that? Tradition was shuttered up in a tomb 2,000 years ago. I'm going to tell you, friends, the stone's been rolled away. Men will try to hide it and say it's deception. I'm going to tell you, friends, the truth makes us free. We have a high priest. Friends, I'll close with this. And one day, he's coming. He's going to rise from a seated position. We know the only times that he rose and he was standing was for the martyr. Remember? He stood up and he received him. Stephen says, I see the Lord. He's standing. He's waiting. But friends, I believe this. I believe we're this close. I believe he's about to stand up and he's about to come in those clouds as the common king, the king of kings. I believe, whatever way you think about this, I believe he's about to mount that white horse and he's about to burst through those clouds and every eye is going to see him and them that pierced him. They'll be crying for the rocks to fall upon them. His feet's going to land in Jerusalem because the Bible tells us this. We'll look at it a wee bit tonight. He's going to descend on that mount, the same mount that he'd come over in a wee donkey. We don't want this, Jesus. We don't want this, Jesus. And his feet are going to land on that mountain, and that mountain is going to part and become a valley. Just like that. I tell you, friends, he's about to come. Let's get our eyes on him. But we need to get filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. It's for witness. That's what it's for. It's for witness. And it's for a gospel that hasn't changed. We'll come to that earthly ministry next week. Has the gospel changed? In practice? But has it changed according to his word? Still the same. Lord, help us this morning to see you high and lifted up. Let's stand together.